Hey, good morning. Welcome to Stapleton Fellowship Church once again. My name is Jimmy Smith. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, if I haven't got a chance to know you yet, I'd love to get a chance to meet you after the services. Maybe today's your first day, or we just haven't had a chance to chat, so it's nice to meet new folks that are around. We've uh, been working on the Series 52 for quite a while now. Uh, it's actually nearing its end, if you can believe that, over the next couple months. And uh, today we're working on a verse out of Genesis. And uh, the last few weeks we've been talking about this idea of forward. Uh, and as a church, how we move forward, as an individual, how we move forward in our spiritual life. And uh, tonight or today is uh, no different. We're talking about that again. And, but to talk about going forward in our lives, we're going we're gonna to talk about our past. And I know that doesn't sound completely succinct at the moment, but hopefully it will make sense as we move forward. But we all have a past, right? We all have a past. It's something that is common among us all is that we have a past. And I would imagine if I had you raise your hands, I won't. But if I went across the room, we had raised hands, um, that you would say, well, you've had some successes in your past. And we could probably all acknowledge, yeah, we've had some successes in our past. There's things that have been good in my life. We could probably there say that there's been embarrassments in our past. And I could tell you lots of stories this morning about embarrassment, but I won't. Um, but we all have embarrassment in our past, right? That's something that, we, we, you know, there's things that we wish we'd have done differently, awkward situations we were in. We have joys. If you look back at your past, there's probably some joys in your life, some good memories, some key moments in your life where just when you look back and reflect, there's great memories. And a lot of times we look back at our past, there's pain. Difficult, difficult pain. The longer I'm in ministry and the more I get a chance to talk with people and work with people, the more pain I see is really under the surface of just about everybody. There's deep pain that we experience as humans in this life, Christian or not. There's pain. We would probably say that there are regrets. I wish I had done this. I wish I had done this then instead of waiting till now. You know, I get to work with the Financial Peace University. Uh, and there's a lot of people that come into the class in their 40s and 50s and have a lot of regrets about what they did with their finances. And if they had just known 20 years ago some of these principles. We all have regrets in our life. Some of us might even have the, the extreme example of being a victim where something happened to you through no fault of your own. And it's created something in your past that's with you now. Whether you like it or not, it's with you now. It's part of who you are. Things enter your life through no fault of your own. The title today is What's Past is Prologue. What's Past is Prologue. And this phrase occurs in Shakespeare's uh, The Tempest. And Shakespeare had many great quotes, and many of us have studied the great works of English literature in high school. And I had an English teacher once, and she, used to, she had a quote of her own. She said, you know, from dust we came and to dust we shall return. And there's someone under my bed, and I don't know if they're coming or going. I'll let that sink in. But I've always admired this quote, what's past is prologue. And do you, re- do you recall in theater what, what a prologue is? By definition, it's an opening to a story that establishes the setting, gives background details, and often some earlier story that ties into the main one. Other miscellaneous information. And at the beginning of many plays or musicals, operas, 
There's a prologue that sets the stage for what's about to happen. And it's very significant to what's about to happen on the stage. And without that information, it'd be hard to understand what the play is all about. Because you don't have the history. You don't have the, the prologue, the past. You remember the Star Wars movies, right? The beginning of Star Wars, there's that trapezoidal text that scrolls up through outer space, right? That's a prologue. Tells you all about why the Death Star is getting ready to be put into use, right? And all these features that you need to understand to understand the movie, right? You know, I'm a big fan of the, the television show Lost. You may remember Lost. If you've never watched it, it's on Netflix now. And I, we watched it when it was live a few years ago. And, and recently I actually binged on it and watched all six uh, seasons again through Netflix. And it's just really great storytelling. And, you know, I, I watched it the first time and I, I really enjoyed it. I really understood the last two seasons a lot better this time around. And one thing about Lost that's, that's, that's really good and really good storytelling is the character development. And you, you find all these characters, but the problem with Lost is when they land on the island, if you know anything about it, they crash on an island, there is no prologue. There's no previous information to who these people are, where they came from, what their stories are, what's important to them. All of a sudden, they're just, boom, crashed on an island, and everybody's running to make things work in this new island. And so as the story develops, the, the writers are brilliant in creating all of these questions in your mind. And things are happening to these characters, and things are, are happening to them, and they're doing things. It's like, man, I don't understand. Why would he react like that? And then all of a sudden, they show you a flashback, and boom, it transports you to 10 years ago in their life and something that happened, an experience that they had, a decision that they made, something that happened to them. And all of a sudden, the pieces start to fall together. Like, ah, that's why he's trying to kill that guy. That's why they're reacting like that. That's why they're having that emotion. Because now when you understand their past, their present makes a lot more sense. And it was really brilliant storytelling, whether you like the series or not. Really brilliant storytelling. And the point is that we all have a past. And like it or not, everything about your past is a prologue for what's about to happen next. Everything about your life is funneled in to now. Everything in your life is prologue for what's about to happen next. The decision you make next. The way you react the way you handle success and failure, the things you choose to engage in, the worldview you see life with, all have roots in your past experiences and is a prologue for what is about to happen next. But for many of us, though, the past creates in us opportunities for missteps in the present. Sometimes our past trips us up. And I want you to understand something very, very important today. Your past is not an accident. There is no reason why you should continue to let your past limit and hold you back or cause insecurity about your next steps in life. Your past is not an accident. Rather, the past is the prologue for the work of God to be made manifest in your life today. Everything about who you are Everything about your past, everything about the prologue of your life was designed by God. Even the, even the difficult, yeah, even the difficult stuff. How do I know this? Well, we're going to look at that today. 
The verse we're going to focus on today is Genesis 50, verse 20. So in our effort to move forward, we're going way back. Genesis 50, verse 20. If you look at that with me. Joseph says to his brothers, You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. God, thank you so much for the opportunity to open your word today, to be with fellow believers that love you and love each other. And I pray that you would use your words to impact our lives today. Help us to uh, uncover some things where we can make new steps forward on our spiritual journey. In your name we pray. Amen. So the story of Joseph, I don't want to scare you off, because in your notes right there it says Genesis 37 through 50. We're not going to read all of it, but we're going to hit the highlights. Because there's some really important stuff that we need to understand about the prologue of Joseph's life to get him to this point to say what he says in Genesis 50, verse 20. So first, early in his family life, we go back to chapter 37. should be on the screen for you. 37, 1 through 4. If not, open up your Bibles. So Jacob, which is Joseph's father, settled again in the land of Canaan where his father had lived as a foreigner. This is the account of Jacob and his his family. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks. He worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Bilhah and Zilpah. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. A little bit of a snitch. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe, the coat of many colors. We all learned about in Sunday school, right? But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them, and they couldn't say a kind word to him. So Jacob is the father of Joseph. He's the brother of Esau. You remember Jacob and Esau. He's also the son of Isaac. Or uh, Jacob is the son of Isaac. Remember, Abraham went to sacrifice his own son, Isaac. And so in his lineage is Abraham as well. So this is the family that we're talking about. And Joseph was loved by his father. So much so that it was noticeable to the rest of the family that this was the favorite son. He made him the coat of many colors. And after these verses, Joseph has a couple dreams and foreshadows about what's about to happen in their lives. And Joseph, I don't think, completely understands what's going on with these dreams. He shares them with his dad, shares them with his brothers, and they become even more irate with Joseph. Jump ahead, chapter 37, verses 18. When Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance. And as he approached, they made plans to kill him. Here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns, and we can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. But when Reuben heard of their scheme, he came to Joseph's rescue. Let's not kill him, he said. Why should we shed any blood? Let's just throw him into this empty cistern here in the wilderness. Then he'll die without our laying a hand to him. Let's alleviate the guilt a little bit of the murderer and just not do it ourselves. Reuben was secretly planning to rescue Joseph and return him to his father. Verse 23. So when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing. They grabbed him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty and there was no water in it. Then, just as they were sitting down to eat, they looked up and saw a caravan of camels in the distance coming toward them. 
It was a group of Ishmaelite traders taking a load of gum, balm, and aromatic resin from Gilead down to Egypt. And Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain by killing our brother? We'd have to cover up the crime. Instead of hurting him, let's sell him to those Ishmaelite traders. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. So when the Ishmaelites, who were Midianite traders, came by, Joseph's brothers pulled him out of the cistern and sold them, sold him to them for 20 pieces of silver. And the traders took him to Egypt. Brothers were jealous. Brothers did not like Joseph. They made a plan and actually sold their own flesh and blood into slavery. Then they made up a story in the verses after this, convinced their father that Joseph had died. So Joseph goes on, or Jacob goes on the rest of his life, thinking that his son Joseph is dead. But once in Egypt, Joseph was sold to Potiphar, the captain of the palace guard for Pharaoh. So just by luck of the draw, when he goes to the slave blocks, he's bought by Potiphar. Goes to serve in this very important man's house in Egypt. And during this time, Joseph's abilities were noticed by Potiphar. Chapter 39, verses 1 through 6. When Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. The Lord was with Joseph. Wait a minute. Did you catch that? My brothers hate me, tried to kill me, decided a better option to throw me into slavery. I'm a slave. The Lord was, was with Joseph. So, because of this, he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. So let me step aside for a second and just preach for a minute. And you want to complain about your circumstances? Oh, I can't get that done because my boss is too X, Y, Z. I can't do that because my family won't. I don't care what situation you're in. The Lord is with you. And in the midst of his slavery, he used God-given principles of love, hard work, being a good servant, person, honorable. Potiphar noticed all of this. Potiphar noticed, verse 3, and this, and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. This pleased Potiphar. So soon he made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of the entire household and everything he owned. From the day that Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's house for Joseph's sake. All of his household affairs ran smoothly, and his crops and livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing, except what kind of food to eat. Now, if you're going to have a servant, Joseph is the one that you want. Everything was taken care of. All the decision Potiphar had to make was, what am I having for dinner tonight? So didn't, I mean... The Lord was with Joseph through all this. Didn't God care about him? Didn't God care that he was about to be sold into slavery? Yeah. But God was also with him in the pain. And now in Potiphar's house, Joseph is elevated because of his good service, his hard work, attitude. and goes from common slave 
to having all the responsibility over Potiphar's life and work. And then, in the verses following, through no fault of his own, Potiphar's wife comes along and has a, an eye for Joseph. We know the story here that Joseph, being honorable as he was, ran from the house, even left his clothes behind to get away from Potiphar's wife so that he would not do anything to dishonor his, his master in this situation. But what does she do? She lies about it. Tells, tells her husband that Joseph had taken advantage of her. So what does Potiphar do? Well, he believes his wife. Don't know that you can really blame him for that, but he does. He throws Joseph in jail. All right, so get this. Joseph goes from bully sheep herder, hated brother, almost killed and murdered, sold into slavery. Great things happen. Moves forward in his, his slave career. Moves up the chain a little bit. And now he's even worse off than that. He's in jail now. He's a convicted criminal. And not just any common criminal. This man offended Potiphar, who was the captain of the palace guard, right? Probably had a little bit of pull in the legal system. Not a good place for Joseph to be. Chapter 39, verse 19. Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph and threw him into prison where the king's prisoners were held. And there he remained. But the Lord was with Joseph. But the Lord was with Joseph. In the, if you were with Joseph, why didn't, you, why didn't you help Potiphar see that he didn't do anything wrong? But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison, and he showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners. And over everything that happened in the prison, the warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. Again, the Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. So once again, in the midst of the pain, God is with Joseph. And he's elevated once again because of his faithfulness to God. So while he's in prison, he begins to interpret some dreams for some people that happen to show up. And he's in there for over two years. So Joseph develops his reputation of a guy who hears from God and can interpret dreams. And Pharaoh starts having some pretty serious dreams. And none of, his, none of his people can help him. So someone finally mentions Joseph. Hey, you should talk to this guy that's in jail. And so he did. Pharaoh talked to Joseph. And so the dream of Pharaoh tells about a future surplus and a famine that's about to happen in Egypt. So Joseph interprets his dream, tells Pharaoh about what's about to happen. And suggests, you know what, you should probably put somebody in charge of this whole process to make sure it, it goes well. Pharaoh says, well, I don't see anybody better than you, Joseph. Why don't you come on out of jail? Chapter 41, verse 37. Joseph's suggestions were received by Pharaoh and his officials. So Joseph asked, so Pharaoh asked his officials, can we find anyone else like this man? So obviously filled with the spirit of God. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has revealed the meaning of your dreams to you, clearly no one else is as intelligent or as wise as you. You will be in charge of my court, and all of my people will take orders from you. We're talking about Pharaoh here, the guy, made the pyramids, 
You will be in charge of my court, and all my people will take orders from you. Only I, sitting on my throne, will have a rank higher than yours. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh removed his signet ring from his hand and placed it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in fine linen cloth and hung a gold chain around his neck. Then he had Joseph ride in the chariot reserved for his second in command. And wherever Joseph went, the command was shouted, kneel down. So Pharaoh put Joseph in charge of all of Egypt. And Pharaoh said to him, I am Pharaoh, but no one will lift a hand or foot in the entire land of Egypt without your approval. He is elevated far beyond anyone would have ever thought of at the beginning of this story. Joseph has gone from lowly shepherd, hated brother, common slave, falsely accused victim, and convicted criminal to the second most powerful person in the most significant civilization on the face of the earth. Tell me that doesn't happen without God's intervention. Tell me that was the luck of the draw. The Lord was with Joseph. And he's now in the perfect position to protect his family and preserve the nation of Israel for God's master plan. Does Joseph realize all of this? God does. Fast forward. So this famine arrives in Egypt. And Joseph was in charge of, during these surplus years, of stocking all this food away so that when the years of famine came, there'd be plenty in the land and everyone would get through this. This was the dream. This was the prophecy. And so when the time of famine came, guess who comes knocking on the door? Joseph's family shows up in Egypt looking for food. Because the famine is affecting not just Egypt, but the entire area around. Joseph recognizes them, but they don't recognize him. Can you just imagine? After all of what's happened, no contact with your family over all these years. And to look back in your mind and know what has happened and know the steps that have taken, and all of a sudden you're face to face, not just with your family, but the people that tried to kill you. Joseph was pretty coy during the next few interactions and talked to his brothers and tried to find out information from them, sent them back home, planted some stuff in their saddlebags to make it look like they'd stolen stuff. And so there was this interaction over several uh, occasions. But ultimately, after some time, Joseph reveals himself to his brother and uses his power to protect his family and provide for their needs. And without Joseph's position... About his power and provision, the story would have been so much different for his family. So the entire clan, Jacob's entire family, all these people ended up moving and resettling in Egypt, including Jacob. So God lays out this story. All of these things happen, and Joseph responds in an amazing way. And every, every chance he has to respond, it seems like he makes the right decision, right? puts himself in a place to protect his family. And then so there's a period of time, we're skipping a lot of information, but there's a period of time where there's this resettlement and things are going well and the family's growing and things like this. And Again, there's more blessing from Pharaoh and all these things. And then Jacob dies. Eventually Jacob is old in age and he, and he dies uh, in Egypt. And once he dies, the brothers get scared. And they go, uh-oh, 
What's he going to do now? Chapter 50. After burying Jacob, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had accompanied him to his father's burial. But now that their father was dead, Joseph's brothers became fearful. Now Joseph will show his anger and pay us back for all the wrong we did to him, they said. So they sent a message to Joseph. Before your father died, he instructed us to say to you, please forgive your brothers for the great wrong they did to you. For their sin is treating you so cruelly. So we, the servants of God, of your father, beg you to forgive our sin. And when Joseph received this message, he broke down and wept. And I wonder if, did he break down and weep because he knew they were continuing to lie to him? Did he break down and weep because he, he thought they were asking for forgiveness? Did he, is it all just finally, boom, becoming reality to him? Then his brothers came and threw themselves down before Joseph. Look, we are your slaves, they said. But Joseph replied, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all. For good. You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many. No, don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. So he reassured them by speaking kindly to them. You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. You know, there's lessons here in the story. Of Jacob. Well, obviously, epic and historic, Joseph's past is not too dissimilar from our own. These are in your notes. Joseph experienced loss. He had a good life, a good father, all that he needed. Things were fine. He enjoyed his life. He was a shepherd. Things were good. But all that was gone when the brothers took it away from him. Rejection he faced by his own flesh and blood. Remember, they almost killed him outright. But as an act of grace, they just sold him into slavery. Suffered rejection from his own family. He had pain. He became a slave. He lost his family. He lost his, his, the life that he knew. He was betrayed by the people that he loved. He experienced a lot of pain. Doubt. I'm sure Joseph at some point must have said, what if? What if I had just been nicer to my brothers? What if, what if I had just burned the coat? What if I had told dad, you know, make everybody else a coat too? If I had only done this, maybe things would have been different. Somehow this must be my fault. I'm sure Joseph experienced all these things. And success. There's success in this story. Yes, we can even relate to Joseph's Success, persevering despite the circumstances, seeing God work in his life. All of this is part of his story. All of this was prologue to this great moment in history of Joseph reuniting with his family in Egypt. The reuniting of the family in Egypt and the protection of the nation of Israel doesn't happen without the past doesn't happen without the prologue. That was the stage that was set. And so now, when this all comes to being, Joseph has a choice. 
what would you have done with the choice? What would you have done to all the people, if all the people in your life that have brought you pain and rejection and hurt, tried to kill you, if all those people showed up in your life one day and you had unlimited power, what would you do with it? Joseph had a choice. You think Pharaoh would have argued with Joseph? He said, off with their heads. Next, who needs food? That's where Joseph was. Joseph, however, chose to let God work through his past, his circumstances, his pain, his suffering, and even his successes to give protection and grace and forgiveness to his family, to the people that had wronged him. Joseph said, what was meant for evil, God meant for good. I just wonder what we would do in that situation. Some of you may have already been faced with those kind of situations in your life. You may have been put front and center with dealing with some of the things in your past. And over the course of life, as circumstances change, how you choose to respond. Joseph said what was meant for evil, God meant for good. You have a choice. When it comes to responding to the present with all that you have in your past, you have a choice. And before you make that choice, I think you should know that whatever evil you have experienced in your life, if you allow him, God can use it for your good. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes for them. Now listen, if you know someone who's going through a tough time, don't just jump out and quote them this verse. Oh, it's okay. God works things all together for your good. Is it true? Absolutely. But as a friend, what do you do? How's it going? That's tough. Tell me about it. I know, man. It's going to be all right, though. God's got you. He's with you. What can I do for you? How can I walk through this with you? Because we know. And if we're on the outside of someone else's pain, it's easier for us to have that perspective, right? That's what that person needs. They need someone else to come around them with some perspective and say, you know what's all right. God's got this. I'm with you. I'll help you process this. What are your choices? First of all, you can ignore the past. You can bury the pain. You can bury the anger, the loss. Bury it deep. Hide it away and never speak of it. Just let sleeping dogs lie. Because as soon as you wake up that dog, he's going to bite your hand, right? But just ignore it. Can I just insert here that this just doesn't work? It just doesn't work. I've been around this long enough to know that one day circumstances are going to align and whatever that pain in your past is, is going to explode. And it's not just going to affect you. It's going to affect everyone that you love and then some. Ignoring what's in your past that hurts is not the way to do it. Is it going to be a painful journey to walk through some of it? Yeah. God will be with you. Because I'm telling you, 
to let it sit there and fester and grow. Just because you ignore it doesn't mean it's not there. Listen, this happens in marriages all the time. Something happens in the past, and 20 years later, boom! Oh, you had daddy issues. Whatever. Things happen, and eventually they explode in your life, and they become out of control, and it affects and hurts everyone around you when you choose to ignore your past. Listen, I'm willing to sit down and talk with you and have a couple conversations, but there's going to become a point where my best counsel for you is you should talk to someone else. Because I don't have a counseling degree. I don't have those, those really, really good things to work with people on. There are great qualified people that have that. And you know what? You might need to sit down with somebody and work through some of, some of these things that you just can't deal with on your own. It's okay. There's no shame in that. So maybe that's where you're at. Don't ignore it. But I know that's a tough thing to do. Two, you could take revenge. You could look at your past. You could look at all the people in your past that have harmed you and hurt you, choose to withhold forgiveness from them, withhold grace from them, withhold mercy from them. All the things that God doesn't want you to do, you could do. Because it's your choice. Joseph could have easily taken revenge. It would have cost him nothing. Don't recommend that route. You can deny it. You can say, yeah, I know it's there, but I really don't need to deal with it. Denial is not just a river in Egypt, right? Deny you have anything to gain from dealing with your past. Yes, you acknowledge it, but you live in denial that it's affecting you. It's affecting you. And probably everyone around you can see that it's affecting you too. And you might be the last one of the party to realize it. And again, we're talking about the painful things of our past. God can also work in the good things in your past. And the joys and the successes. But oftentimes what we do with that is we take our successes and we take our joys and we take the things that, that we've done in this life and we become accomplished. And we become successful. And we worked hard and we did it. And we got to this place. And I shouldn't help anyone else out because they need to work hard and get there themselves too. And you choose to use your successes and your joys and your the good things about your life in a selfish way. Internalize it all instead of giving back to others. You could do that. Embrace it. That's the other thing you can do. Is embrace your past. Embrace who God has made you to be and accept that even in the midst of great pain, God can work all things together for your good. I think that's what Joseph did. Maybe he was on the back of the camel on the way to Egypt. And he's having a moment with God and says, God. Okay. Whatever you got next. I'm still your servant. Use me. Some point Joseph had to do that. There's no way Joseph makes the decisions that he does without having acknowledged God in that way. And somehow, and for you, I challenge you to embrace who you are, what your past has, and realize that all of it has been prologue for what's about to happen now. All of it is the funnel in your life for the present. 
You know that scene? You probably don't. I had to look it up too. But that scene from The Tempest in, in Shakespeare's work here where he uses the line, what's past his prologue. There's two guys that are, that are working through it here. You know what they're about to do? Anybody? Any English majors? They're about to commit murder. They're looking at all this stuff that's led up to this point and say, we got no other choice. This is what we we're destined to do. We're here to murder this guy. They made their own choice. In your notes, let your past be a platform to declare the glory of God. Use the lessons of this life that you have learned to encourage someone else. Use the lessons that you have learned in this life to encourage others. Use the experience you've had to benefit others and the kingdom of God. You know, one of the things I love about Financial Peace University, I know I mention this a lot, but one of the things I love about it is I was the poster child for all the stupid things you could do with your money. I was that guy, right? Declared bankruptcy back in California, in a stupid house over my head, lots of credit card debt, wrong type of insurance. I mean, I was the guy that just made all the stupid decisions. And what I love about FPU is I don't, I don't have to come here and say, man, I, I could never lead a class like that. I could never work and help people because I've made No, I take the experiences and I take the work of God in my life and try to encourage and share with others that you can do it too. And don't do this because that was bad. I know. I love learning from other people's mistakes. If I can go through life and learn from your mistakes... Less pain for me. And I feel like that story, that part of my life can be an encouragement to other people. Use the pain you've had to comfort others. Use the loss that you've had to help others find peace. Have you ever seen someone who's been through like a medical tragedy, you know, the, the one and two billion shot that you get this particular disease? And three other people on the planet have, you know, that kind of thing where it's just so rare. Guess who becomes the next spokesman to help other people understand about that disease? The family member that went through it. Because they now have experience in this pain, in this loss, in this life lesson. And they can now walk alongside other people and help them understand how to walk through it better. Because when I went through it, I didn't have this and I didn't have that. And I didn't have someone leading the way for me. They become the next advocate. Listen. Your pain allows you the chance for advocacy in someone else's life. There are other people that are not as far down the road as you are. God can take what was meant for evil in your life and turn it into something good. All too many times, I think what happens in the flesh is people that go through difficult pains in their life end up inflicting those pains on other people in their life. Instead of learning from it and trying to help others and making sure that never happens to someone else again. I've never understood that. But listen, as believers, we have that opportunity to let our pain be a platform to help someone else. You want to get the focus off the hurt in your life? Help someone else. Quit living in here and live out there. And allow God to use your prologue to help 
Use your successes and positions to bless others and show mercy. Some of you are wildly successful in what you do. Teach someone else what you did. Walk along with someone else and help them get through some of the barriers that were hard for you and offer advice and offer encouragement. Use your blessings to bless others. God can't give to a closed hand. Give to an open hand. And some of you are wildly successful in what you do. How are you using that to invest in the kingdom? Because while you're using it in amazing ways to bless your family and have a great life, that's only part of the puzzle. How God has blessed you is ultimately for his kingdom because the gift came from him. Your past is a prologue for what you're about to do next. I need to share a story. <laughs> In my notes, I have question marks by sharing the story. <laughs> I'll do my best. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I have a friend from college. Um, so-so friend, and knew him as I was kind of coming into school, and he was going out. Not a real close relationship, but a guy I knew from college. Went to be a missionary in Siberia for a while. Um, came back and worked at a church in Alaska. And now he's the uh, district executive minister for a converged district in uh, Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And so he's, he's part of our movement now and things like that. Well, about two, three weeks ago, his daughter, uh, 12 years old, came down with some atypical pneumonia. Nothing would fight it, one of these superbugs or something to that effect. Finds herself within a couple days on life support. I mean, just very, very difficult situation. They've got a boy on either side of the, the young girl. And so prayer requests started to go out on, on uh, Facebook, and so I've been following their story quite a bit. It's been a very, very, very difficult journey. She's been on the ECMO machine. Some of you medical people know what I'm talking about, where all of her blood and oxygen were filtered outside of her body and brought back in. And so, I mean, she has been on the brink in the surgery for the ECMO. They brought her out of, uh, they had to resuscitate her like three times. I mean, very, very, very <laughs> difficult situation for anyone to go through, let alone parents watching a 12-year-old happen. And Jim and, and Carrie, their last name's Capaldo, they, um, they write these beautiful inspirational um, Facebook posts in the midst of all this and keep everyone updated on her condition and how we can pray and things like that. And this came through yesterday at 2 o'clock. Um, today, Kenzie is sad. This is the girl. She's 12. In a moment of consciousness, she acknowledged her sadness as her lower lip yielded to a quiver uh, into a a quiver against the inanimate and invasive breathing tube. It is one thing to be sad. It is another to lack the capacities of free expression of sadness. She can hear us and respond with subtle nods, a slight grip and constrained facial expressions, all of which speak a thousand words. 
There is a distinct dialogue going on within Kinsey's heart. As much as we lovingly reassure her, due to the conversational constraints for now, her deep heart's cry remains beyond us. Beyondness is mystifying in both a comforting and terrifying way. Comforting in that there is a hope that we may be further enlightened and terrifying in that we are constrained from knowing all, at least for now. Kinsey's current state reminds us that God is not only present, he is only, he's not only penetrating, but that God does through and beyond us. God is transcendent. Kinsey's vitals are stable, although she is still considered critical. It is expected that she will remain intubated for at least another week as her lungs recover from nine days of complete collapse. One eight-inch incision of her leg was stitched up yesterday. The other incision remains open with life signs of muscle recovery. Continue praying for lung and calf muscle recovery. Pray that God would transcend our words to Kinsey and both comfort and minister healing to her soul's deepest wounds and body's deepest needs. There is a day when we will move beyond humanity's veil and know as we are known. But today we are at peace with what is beyond. God, please help Kenzie and us to deeply know that the sufferings in this life are not worthy. To be compared to the glory that is to be revealed in us. Romans 8.18. Yet what we suffer now is nothing to be compared to the glory that will be revealed in us later. I don't know what I do as a parent. But I'm blessed by their words. I'm blessed by their acknowledgement of God in this time of intense pain and suffering. And the hope is that the sufferings of this life, the pain you've experienced, the difficulties you have, don't even compare to what God has for you. As Joseph was going through his trial, God was with him and showed him his faithful love. God has transcended. He's so far beyond what we're experiencing. He hurts when we hurt. Sometimes he's got a plan. And your past is a prologue for what God wants to do in your life now. Your past is temporal. Only eternity is forever. And God says that this present suffering can't even compare to eternity. The answer, my friends, is Jesus. It's really that simple. Will you give him your past and allow him to work all things together for your good?